Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're welcoming back Mac McAnally. Mac is a great singer-songwriter, recording artist. He is one of the most respected musicians and singer-songwriters around. In fact, he's the recipient of 10 Musician of the Year awards from the Country Music Association. As a recording artist, he's released his 14th studio album, Once in a Lifetime, on Mailboat Records. And just as a disclaimer, folks, this interview is being done in the year 2020. If you want to dig up the last time Mac McAnally was on the Paul Leslie Hour, which was recorded backstage at the Roswell Cultural Arts Center, look up episode number 144. So, Mr. McAnally, how does it go? <laughs> it seems like somebody asked Vassar Clemens that about a fiddle tune one time. Uh, you know, it. It goes pretty well for me, Paul. I'm, I, you know, this this particular piece of time that we're navigating right now is, uh, it's it's troublesome, troubled waters for most everybody. But uh, I I I do realize that I'm kind of doubly blessed in that in that my job is something I can entertain myself with. Uh, whether or not I can do it, we can't go out on the road and play shows right now. But uh, but there's there's a bunch of musical instruments laying around the house, and I've got music that runs around in my head. So it it serves to entertain me during during the time when we can't do much of anything else and music's music's a lucky thing to be involved in anyway it's one of the few things in the world that can turn bad into good and since since the world has supplied a little extra bad this year i'm going to try to supply a little extra music <laughs> well what would you say has helped you the most in coping with the reality of of life in this year well, you know, music as much as anything, because as it, as it just turned out, just the happenstance of this particular year, you may well know I'm a I'm a member of the Coral Reefer Band with Jimmy Buffett during the uh, we call that my day job, which is a pretty good day job. I recommend that to anybody. <laughs> but uh, we in January of this year, before the pandemic uh, got up and rolling, we recorded tracks for Jimmy's new studio album, first one in seven years, and. I am, uh, along with Mike Udley, uh, our keyboard player and musical director, I, I am the producer uh, on Jimmy's records. And uh, we, so we had uh, we had a bunch of work to do, uh, overdubs and background vocals and mixing, that, that sort of the, the finished carpentry that goes along with making records these days. And so so that occupied the first chunk of time. And, and I also was, I had recorded the basic tracks of my record and I had the same the same process to go through on my CD uh, or album or whatever you'd like to call it, according to what period of, of, of the last century you come from. But uh, <laughs> but those two records pretty much occupied me uh, all, all the way through May. So uh, so the, the, the first part of the pandemic was actually I was getting to work in, in studios, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have a, a studio environment in down in Muscle Shoals and a, and a small one here in Nashville where I am today, as well. So so finishing those records uh, was was the, the the most entertaining part of the first of the year. And then since then, 
I've done some odds and ends for everybody else, but I've gotten to, I haven't got to, I haven't got to hug my kids, but I've gotten to be home and around the kids more than, than usual because we're always on the road this time of the year. Mr. Buffett has never not toured in his adult life. And, uh, this, this is the first year in about 27, 26 or seven that I haven't been out, you know, in the summertime with the coral reefers. So it's, it's new, but, uh, but I, I do realize how fortunate I am to have music as a job, and and it it makes me feel for a all the people who can't work uh, and who want to, and 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 b all the people who kind of have to work because they're either essential as first responders or or healthcare professionals, or or even you know the people handing out the sodas at the drive-through windows at fast food. They they are essential workers, and they have to work and. And, and, and have some risk involved in going. So I'm grateful to what everybody's doing, and, I, and I'm rooting for everybody to, to weather it together. What would you say, you know, I think we can look at 2020 and, and find that there are blessings to it if we look. What would you say the blessing of this year has been for you? Well, I speak occasionally of miscounted blessings in, in songs, and the, the 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 title of my record this year is is called Once in a Lifetime, and it's something that I say periodically, but this year has made it more clear than ever is that every day really is once in a lifetime. Uh, a lot of people tend to just lower their head, whether it's a work week, they you know they say, okay, I got to make it till Friday and get the work over with, or and they just plow through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And in reality, there's a lot of good things that happen on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday. And, you know, and this 2020 has been a tough year. There's a lot of folks just saying, I just want to get through this year. And I understand that. But, but there's good things that can happen in this year. You, just, just because it's generally gloomy doesn't mean there's, there's not really pockets of good. And I think historically, the arts community has always, there's always been great art that's born out of uh, pressurized time. You know, this is a this is a high pressure piece of time. But there will be there will be great music and visual art and 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 literature that comes from this piece of time that that nobody in our lifetime has been through anything like this year. So I expect some some art to come out of it that hasn't been duplicated in our lifetime, and I look forward to that. My my particular blessing is. Is you know the fact that I'm not usually home. I I have my kids around me now, and I I can I can do things. Although I can't hug them, I can I can spend time with family in a way that I don't usually get to in the in the work environment in the summer. And that's that's it for me. And two of my kids, unfortunately, have gone through the virus, but fortunately have survived it pretty well. And uh, I count I count those things as blessings because they have some immunity and can go back to work and feel pretty confident now, I think, at least uh, for a couple of years. Since you mentioned your your children and the Buffett record, I have to say, and I told her this, I think the absolute knockout on the newest Jimmy Buffett record, Life on the Flip Side, is the last song on the album, which your daughter co-wrote. Isn't that something? You know, we and it's it's just such a cool human story because, uh, like I said, Mr. Udley and I are are the Mike Udley and I are the co-producers of the record, and his oldest son Mick married my oldest daughter Erin, 
So we have second generation coral reefers, and and as you say, Paul, the 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 last song on the record they they co-wrote with with Jimmy, and that's just you know there's there's all kinds of beautiful circle of life stories, but this is a particularly good one for us because you know those those kids since they were kids they were out on the road with us, and we would you know we would book little museum trips for the for the band children to go to and everything. So they've they've been really close friends forever. And then all of a sudden they're, they're married and their family and, uh, Utley and I were co-producers, but we also call ourselves the co-daddies because, <laughs> because we got these, uh, we got these kids and, and they're such great kids, both of them. And our, our standard line is it's a standard line, but it's true is that both, both, both of those kids improve both families. Uh, they're, they're really great kids. Well, I'm hoping we can talk about the the title track of this album, Once in a Lifetime. When I first heard it, I thought, wow, this sounds very, very different from a lot of the stuff you've recorded. So tell us about that song, Once in a Lifetime, where you're joined by Drake White. Yeah, and Drake's a phenomenal singer and just such a sweetheart guy, great writer, uh, great entertainer. And and he's from... uh, from North Alabama, I, I, my studio's down in Muscle Shoals, and I've, I've been Muscle Shoals has sort of been musical home to me since the late seventies. I think I went there in seventy six, and and we became friends relative to that, but uh, and have have recorded some together. Although we had never written together, we just talked about it. But Drake and I just ran into one another at at breakfast at a restaurant here in the neighborhood where I live in Nashville, and. Uh, we we weren't planned on meeting. I just saw him three or four tables across, and and as, after we finished breakfast, I walked by and shook hands, which you could do back in the early part of 2020. <laughs> and uh, and he said, "Man, what's going on, man?" And I, it just it's a st- one of my standard lines. I said, "Oh man, every day, every day's great. Every day is once in a lifetime." I said that, and Drake Drake said, "Ooh, ooh, we should we should write that, or or at least you should write it." And, it's one of those things I would have just said and kept on going and 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 not paid any attention to it. But uh, he recognized that it had a little it had a little juice to it, and uh, so we made an appointment and we got together. And you're right, it is a little bit different than standard for me. And and Drake's got such a broad range. I I don't feel you know I don't feel limited by range. We started goofing around talking about that title, and. I just bought a new instrument called a Griffin, which is a, it's like a twelve string, but it's tuned up really high. It probably has it probably has enough tension in the strings to to shoot an arrow a mile and a half. But for some reason or other, it's it it's fun and it's fun to play. And it puts it because it's tuned up so high, it throws your voice into a different place when you start trying to sing to it. And uh, we just started a little back and forth. That chorus, he started singing, you know, that every day's once in a lifetime, and I started doing answers to it, sort of like, uh, kind of like the Beatles did in uh, in Getting Better All the Time. You know, he 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 said every day's once in a lifetime, and I go, it's one, it's once in a lifetime every day. We we just started back and forth, and and it was fun, and it took about forty five minutes to write it just fell really easily and that you know that's not always a great sign but it frequently is a great sign and it 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 just seems like it has a lot of joy in it and i was raised in church gospel music and everything and the whole biblical make a joyful noise thing has always applied to me i try to be 
I don't want to say I'm a glass half full guy. I'm probably a glass three quarters full guy. I'm, I'm a fairly optimistic fellow. And we, we, we didn't write this song to deal specifically with this, you know, pandemic this particular year. But, uh, but I do think that it is well equipped to, to add a little, a, a little sunshine to this particular year that, that a lot of people, so many folks are struggling through. Every day has a chance to be good, to be better than yesterday was. And and I, I actually think that it's better to look at it that way. You know, my whole directive every day is to, is to get better. I want to be a better guitar player and a better singer, and there's Lord knows there's room for improvement, better songwriter. And every day is an opportunity to do that. I want to be a better father to my daughters and neighbor to my neighbors and a better ex-husband to my ex-wife. I want to get better. And, and every day is a chance to do that. Hmm. Well, on the note of collaborating, you have a few co-writers on this album. Drake White, Jimmy Buffett, Will Kimbrough, Roger Guth. What do you look for in someone that you work with? Well, uh, over the years, Paul, I've been I've actually been primarily a, a solo writer and uh and and it's not because it's not because I never wanted to be a co-writer. I just uh, I'm such a bashful guy. I grew up on a farm, and and we were sort of taught not to call attention to ourselves, and and that that was a bad character trait to to, to call attention to yourself. And, and so it's a little bit ironic that you end up in show business for you know for <laughs> five and a half decades so far, but. But uh, just it's just worked out that the concentration level I like to be at historically has been me writing by myself. But as I get to be friends with people, uh, there there becomes what I call assignment writing. Like you know, Jimmy and I've been friends a long time, and we've we've written together a lot for his records. And the song that that's on this album, uh, "Changing Channels," is a song we wrote for his uh, "Off to See the Lizard" album. And uh, and he did a great version of it. Change, uh, he 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 killed that song. And I I never thought there would be a reason for me to record it, but I really like it. I, so I sit and play it sometimes. And every once in a while, I play it in one of my little solo shows. And his his fan base is is so great about supporting the other coral reefers when we go out and do our smaller uh, listening room type gigs. Sometimes I'll play that song for them, and and they'll come up after the show, and they'll go, "Which one of your CDs has Changing Channels on it?" And I was like, I, "Well, I, I never recorded it. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think there was a reason to." After Jimmy did, he got he did such a good job, and they go, "No, we we like you singing it too. You should you, you should record it as well." So as as bad a businessman as I am, it eventually got through my head that some of them would like to hear that, <laughs> and and I the. In in my live show, I always perform that song. The last five or six years, the sh- my show has just been me and uh, Eric Darkin on percussion, the two of us. And the core of this record, like nine tracks out of the twelve, is, are just Eric and myself. And th- that's the way we do it live. Just him on a cajon, beating on a wooden box, and and me with my little wooden box with six strings on it, and the two of us play it. And I think I, I put some harmony on it, but it's very simple production of a, of a beautiful song that I'm grateful that Jimmy and I wrote. And Will Kimbrough and I wrote the the song Just Right. We were writing for Jimmy's album and uh and and we liked that song but it didn't end up ideal for for Jimmy's record, but we cut a track on it while we were down in Key West cutting cutting Jimmy's record and he he allowed me to to uh 
borrow that track for for my record because it was so good it's got the whole coral reefer band plus will kimbrough and and will's such a great writer in his own right i've been a fan of his for a long time and and a, he's a great friend as well so the you know, co-writing comes from friendship and and uh roger guth our drummer in the coral reefer band is uh, also a great songwriter in his own right and this the song that we wrote uh it's called good guys win it was project written. It was written for a film that we did some soundtrack work for called Hoot. A friend of ours, Carl Hyacin, wrote a novel called Hoot, and, and they made a movie of that that Jimmy was involved in. And he sang that song in the film. It was the song at the end of the movie that sort of wrapped it up. And and it did, it served a purpose well there. And once again, it was written I, I, maybe 2007, and I, I was thinking – there wasn't any reason like like changing channels there was no reason for me to ever record it but people would come and request it and we don't uh, we don't ever play it in the coral reefer show and it this particular piece of time uh it seemed seemed like a good time to bring that one out as well a few folks had, had been asking for it so most of these songs on the record are new but the, in in maybe three or four cases there's a, a couple that have been sitting around a while that i either thought i didn't need to record because somebody else had already done a good version or uh for whatever reason, well, the song "Brand New Broken Heart" that's on the record. Uh, also, I was I wrote that for to pitch to one of my bluegrass buddies, like Ricky Skaggs or some you know somebody that's really authentic in that world. I imagine should cut that song, but I just am too lazy and I'm too bashful to go knock on somebody's door and say you should or you know, maybe you should check this out and record it. So it sat around for ten years, and eventually I was like, I really like that song. I think I'm going to go ahead and sing it myself and. So there's different ways to arrive at at putting a record together, but I enjoy all of those ways. <laughs> and I don't I don't poo poo any of them. I think uh, you know, however you arrive at, at at good music and and music that makes you happy to play and proud to to claim, however you get to there is a good thing. I do think the the interpretation here of of your co-write changing channels it's really interesting version i really like it what would you say jimmy buffett's greatest talent is you know that's tough because he's got so many his his manager his late great manager howard kaufman used to say that you know if if jimmy weren't such a good writer and weren't such a good entertainer and uh, and musician that he would be a great ceo uh, uh, because <laughs> he's got he he's he has a great eye for good people and his his organization, top to bottom, and I and I, I'm a little biased because they're like second family to me. Our our touring group, our all of the whole Margaritaville Holdings, all the people that work with Jimmy, he's he's just run across and assembled really good people. And and it's not always like, hey, this guy's a great carpenter, he's gonna be a great set carpenter for us on the road. It's just literally this guy's a good person. I want this person to work with me in some way or other. And then you find out what we're good at later. And the whole organization is built to people like that. So I would say, you know, although he's obviously known, he's a, he's an underrated writer because he's such a good entertainer. People don't give him credit for the, the writing that he does, but there's not really anything that he's not pretty good at, but, but his assembling of people and leading a group of people a lot of folks might not know that that that's a, a great gift of his, but that's I think that's one of his best talents 
and 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 it and it goes unknown for the most part. So I've got to brag on that a little bit. Well, you know, it was just the other day I was watching one of the little snippets that he does on Facebook, which I recommend it, by the way. And he was talking about a song of yours that you co-wrote with him that I happen to think is a vastly underrated song. He says he's working up a version of Love in the Library. And ah, yeah, <laughs> great song. And I'm hoping that maybe you could just talk a little bit about it. Well, happy to. Yes, uh, there was a there was a little time in the uh, in the early '90s where Jimmy bought a place and moved back to Nashville because musically he's always he, he's always connected really well with Nashville. But as it turns out, he connects so much with Saltwater. It, it, it's it's not ever going to be you know as cool of a town as Nashville is. There's no there's no Saltwater. <laughs> <laughs> around so it's it's not going to be the place that he that he lives permanently but he came back to nashville for a while and we were we were writing songs for the fruitcakes album and our songwriting usually gets born out of sitting on a porch and talking about things that we have in common we the, the first song we ever wrote was the coast is clear and and that was about you know going to hang out after the tourists clear out down at the gulf we both you know grew up with access to the gulf of mexico and and that was the first thing that we had in common that we talked about but both coming from mississippi and and both being sort of students of southern literature and and very strongly influenced by literature in general that that popped up in our conversation and and love in the library was was born out of that, uh, you know, the, the whole notion of of finding somebody around a bunch of books that you revere, that you end up revering the person as well, and and I, I appreciate that, you know, that that's obviously, I guess you would call it a niche song because it's not, uh, it's not for everybody, but the people that connect with that song, it's a deep connection, and I really like that, and 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 I like the fact that. In the context of being a big universal type act, that that Jimmy will will go down deep dive and uh, and 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 work hard on something that has it has a smaller cast as an audience, but uh, but, but as I say, it, it's it, it means a lot to the folks that it connects with. Very well put. Well, you've had your songs recorded by people from great classic singers like Charlie Pride to more contemporary acts like Kenny Chesney. Who do you think has done the best job of cutting one of your songs or performing one of your songs? Well, gosh, I've been really blessed in so many different ways, and it is hard to pick one. You know, the first big hit that I got to be a co-writer on would was Old Flame for Alabama, and you know when i think about you know what that did for for them and for me for where we were at the time that probably had as much impact as anything that 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 i've ever been involved in and and it was unexpected uh at, at that time there wasn't there wasn't a lot of country music that was being done in uh out of muscle shoals and 
So, and we, my publishing deal was was in Muscle Shoals at, at Wishbone. We worked at Wishbone Studio, and Donnie Lowry, who's one of my best friends, he and I wrote that song together, and and we finished it on the on the night John Lennon was assassinated. I, I remember exactly the 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 little moment of silence in Monday Night Football because we had just wrapped up that song and walked in there and turned on the TV and that and and that's what hit. But at any rate, we we were just just above eating government cheese uh, out of necessity we still ate it occasionally uh, <laughs> out by choice <laughs> but 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 we we were you know struggling to be lower middle class and and, and didn't have any great prospects and, and and honestly the at that time the guys in muscle shoals were thinking well why would you why would you even write a country song cuz number one records only sell like 40,000 copies or whatever. They, these, these were music professionals that were telling us we were wasting our time writing country songs. And I said, well, I, I just like it. You know, some of my heroes are country singers, so I'm, I'm going to write what I like, whether it's feasible or not. And, and you know, it, it, and then here comes Alabama. And uh, between then and now, Old Flame has, has – somebody told me it's over 25 million sales so so whoever told me 40,000 was the ceiling was off they were a little, <laughs> little bit off on that one <laughs> and but but uh, honestly that's not anything I would ever do based on money anyway I, I only write songs that light me up that's that's the only thing I you know I love it when someone asked for for something and I, I would say probably that one was a total surprise so that's probably the biggest impact for me but but the band Shenandoah also, or I played on their early records, and Marty Rabin, the fabulous lead singer of Shenandoah, he he said, "Mac, you you know you know my voice, write write something for my voice." And nobody had ever asked me that before, and we came up with two dozen roses for for Marty, and and that record still sounds great today. I hear it on the radio occasionally, and I went, "Man, we we really lucked out," because you know. It sounds better than than I know for a fact that I am. So we it, there's you know there's there's luck involved in that, and so, so somewhere between those two would probably be my favorite cuts. But I've had so many. Kenny did a great cut of "Back Where I Come From," and and Jimmy did a great cut of "It's My Job." And Sawyer Brown, we had a great run with Sawyer Brown. When Mark just sang a whole bunch of my stuff, and we wrote a bunch of stuff together. So. It's hard to it's hard to pick one and not feel like I'm insulting some others because I've been so lucky and so blessed. This question is perhaps somewhat philosophical, but given the tone of the album and to- the tone of so many of your songs, I feel like it's fair. Mr. McAnally, what is the best way to live? Well, I think... And you know, I I I don't I, I'm not somebody who who tries to solicit agreement from anybody else. I, I have my own thoughts. I don't proselytize. I'm, I don't think anybody has to think like I think. But I believe that life is a gift, and that whatever life you have, whatever life you have, as good or bad as it is, what whatever if you if you have a terminal disease and you got six weeks left to live, life is still the best thing that you have. And it's if it's not a responsibility to enjoy it, it is at least an opportunity to enjoy it. And I think that the world is better off when people enjoy the gift of life. And I and if you can figure out a way to enjoy it, 
that is not at the direct expense of somebody else that has that's trying to enjoy theirs too, then that's it. Then 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 that's what life that's as good as it can be. I grew up in a great little small community in Mississippi where where it was it was in our mindset to consider making life better for folks around us. And I happen to like that. I happen to like that thought. It makes me sleep good at night. It makes me feel better when I wake up in the morning. If I know that that in my heart and in the actions of my day, I'm going to try to make my life a little bit better right after I try to make somebody else's a little bit better. And, and I grew up, my parents were great examples for that attitude. And I consider myself I actually aspire to be a watered down version of my parents because they were such wonderful people. And if, if if when I die, they say he's a watered down version of his mom and dad, then I'm going to take that as a compliment because uh, I grew up in a, in a really fine family. And I know not everybody does, but uh, but the fact that that that's a particular blessing of mine makes me want to pass along some of the good things that 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 they handed down to me. I want all the listeners out there. Please check out MacMacinelli.com. You can also visit the record label, MailboatRecords.com. Mac Macinelli, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I've had several of these exchanges with you, and they're always insightful and enjoyable for me. Well, I appreciate what you do, Paul, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it, it, you've known me well enough to know that I'm especially especially poor self-promoter so any help that i get from <laughs> from the outside world i am quite grateful for and thank you for thinking of me over the years uh, because we've been at this a while now i don't I, you you named the episode i don't know how long ago it was we 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 taped our first one but it was it was not in the last three months i know <laughs> it was a while back <laughs> but i don't know if you remember this of course i wouldn't be upset if you didn't but years and years back I wrote something called Semi-True Storyteller. Uh, it was a, a, a story about you. I went out to the Variety Playhouse, and I remember I plopped this little junky cassette player down. <laughs> and you said, let's make a table. And you pulled a chair, and we sat and we we talked. <laughs> I still remember that. It was... it was Not the Variety. How about that? <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was such a... Such a joy to, to it's been a joy to do this one as well. Well, likewise, and I, I, I hope we get another turn on down the road. Well, as I like to say, until next time. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour, hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song: Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scanning G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.